0: We'll turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 5. We're continuing, of course, our study, really, the Old Testament history book, and we're seeing the nation of Israel really through the eyes of David. He is the second king. There's so much that we can learn, I think, from the life of David. He's a man after God's own heart. As we look at this, it's, uh, it's actually a time of transition. It's a time of transition because David has now become the leader of the entire nation. He's been anointed by king. He is leader. And uh, he's the king, and, and there's great things happening here, and we can look at David because there's a big contrast between David and Saul. Saul was the first king. We call Saul a man of the flesh. David is a man of faith. This morning, we're going to see several things. We're going to see first David and his men take Jerusalem, and it becomes the capital. In other words, they take Jerusalem from the Jebusites. We'll talk about that in a minute. And they take the capital. And then we're going to see that there are two different battles with the Philistines. You remember, the last time the Philistines fought with the nation of Israel, they defeated, killed Saul, killed Jonathan, had a great victory. This time, we're going to see what happens. Well, as we look at this passage, we're going to see over and over that David does what he has done all the way from the beginning, and that is trust God. He trusts God in all these events. He seeks to live for God. And that's the one of the things that we can learn. And we can look at this and say, regardless of the events, whether they're going good or going bad, you would think that after Saul died, that David would immediately become the king, but it doesn't, doesn't happen that way. He becomes the king of Judah, but not the whole nation. And last week, we saw finally he became the king over the whole nation. So God is working. David has to trust God. And in our lives, there are all kinds of events and things that happen, and we have to trust God as well. So there's going to be some good things as we look through this passage. Well, there's this old saying that many of you have heard, that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, that's really an incorrect statement, because uh, sticks and stones can't break your bones, but words can really, really hurt you And entirely in your life. There are things that somebody said about you that you still remember, even to this day. And uh, so uh, that they can hurt us. This morning, we're going to see David is prepared He's going after the city of Jerusalem. We'll talk about it, and there are a group called the Jebusites who live there. They challenge David. In fact, they actually make fun of David, and they say that if we were all blind and lame, you still couldn't take this city. So David's going to get the last laugh because God is going to give him the city, and we'll see how it works out. And you know, when you look at this once again, David is trusting God through the whole thing, and and we realize that God. Always gives the victory. I want you to think about something. We cannot, cannot trust in ourselves. First Corinthians says, take heed lest you think you stand, you fall. And it is so easy for sometimes us to say, well, I think I can do that, or I know I can do that, but we can't. Or there's sometimes we'll say, well, I would never do that, or I'd be okay, and yet it still comes to pass. So we can't trust in ourselves, but we have to trust in God. Our confidence is in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 talks about trusting in Him. And this morning, we're going to see that David continues to trust God, not only as he now becomes king, but but the battles, the battles with the Philistines and the battles with the others as well. Well, Ishbosheth is dead. He was the king of the northern part, and now they've all come together, and we saw last week that that's what they did. But here's something I want you to see. Chapters 5, 6, and 7, the next three chapters that we look at, there's some incredible things that happen in this section. In fact, I kind of call it a special section because 2 Samuel chapters 5, 6, and 7 go together. Look at this right here. We're going to see then these three chapters that David is anointed as king over Israel, that David captures Jerusalem and makes this city the capital. That David has great victory over the Philistines. That David brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And God makes a covenant with David. We call it the Davidic Covenant. It's found in chapter 2 Samuel chapter 7. And we'll see that as we go through that. So... The first five verses we saw last week basically, all the nation of Israel came together and said, David, we want you to be the king. And if you remember in verses four and five, we saw this that when David was 30 years old, and he became the king and he ruled for 40 years. So David started when he was 30 and ruled all the way of 70 years old. Now, think about this. We talked about it last week that Saul was the first king of Israel and he ruled for 40 years. David was the second king of Israel and he ruled for 40 years. Solomon is going to be the third king of Israel and he. He's going to rule for forty years, so it's really kind of amazing that the first three kings of Israel all ruled for forty years. Well, David does that. Verse five says, "And at Hebron he reigned over Judah seven and a half years, seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned thirty-three years over all Israel and Judah." So that's that's where we stopped last time, and now we're going to see what happens. David knows that as the king, he needs a place, he needs a palace, he needs a place that's going to be the capital, and so he decides that they're going to the city of Jerusalem, because they haven't really lived in Jerusalem. They've lived at Hebron. They lived some other places and that kind of thing, but they've never lived in Jerusalem. So watch what happens. Look at verse six. Now the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. And they said to David, this is the Jebusites talking, you shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will turn you away thinking that David cannot enter here so when David came up to take the city they made fun of David they they kind of laughed and they said no 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 you can't take the city if you were if everybody was blind and lame you couldn't take the city let's talk for a minute about Jerusalem Jerusalem is a great Great word itself. Uh, the city used to be called Salem. If you go back to, to uh, Genesis chapter 13, there's a guy named Melchizedek, and he is a king priest of the city of Salem. Salem means peace, basically. And Jerusalem, the, the J-U-R part, is the word, basically an abbreviation of the word for Jehovah or for Yahweh. And so put it together, it really means Jehovah's peace. So Jerusalem means that it is the most important city in the world. A lot of people want to say, well, New York or D.C. or something. No, no. Jerusalem is the most important city in the world. It is God's city. It is the most special city in the world. And it's going to be where Jesus Christ, when he comes to the earth, as king of kings and lord of lords. He will rule from the city of Jerusalem. Now, let's talk about how special it is. Do you remember that when Abraham was told to offer up his son, they left, they made a three-day journey, and they got to a place called Mount Moriah, Mount Moriah and Mount Zion are the same mountain. That's where Jerusalem is built. So when Abraham offered, prepared to offer his son up on Mount Moriah, that was the same place of the city of Jerusalem. It was the same place that the temple will be built. It is the same place that Jesus died and rose again. It is the place of the future capital of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jerusalem is the most famous and important city in all the world. Uh, if you never get a chance to go, if you haven't had a chance to go, you ought to go someday. Maybe we as a group of church, we can get maybe 10 or 15 or 20 people. Maybe we can go and look, go one of those tours. things. I went to one, is a long time ago, 1967, uh, excuse me, 1976. And, and it was amazing, but so much has changed in all those years. They've, they've, they've uncovered all kinds of things. When I was there, you, you saw the, the, where the temple was. Now they actually have all uncovered all of the steps and the ways leading up to the temple. And there's all kind of different things It is an amazing city and it is God's city, by the way. So it's so special. Well, it says that they came to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. Who are the Jebusites? Well, the Jebusites are people who are living in that city. If you go back to Genesis chapter 10, they are descendants of the Canaanites. If you remember, the Canaanites were the people in the land that the nation of Israel, when they took the land, were supposed to drive out all the Canaanites. Well, they didn't drive them all out and they were not able to get the city of Jerusalem. So here it is. And and so David's gonna, gonna he's decided to take it. He's going to take the city. The Jebusites are descendants of a guy by the name of Jebus. And, and so it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 10. They're guarding the city, the city and they make fun of David. The Jebusites say, the blind and the lame will turn you away. And course you, you don't want to make David mad, but because, I mean, he's a great warrior. Plus, God has already told him, you know, this is going to be the place, and he's going to do that. And, and so be careful when you think you're going to fight against God. And so God gives the victory. That's what's going to happen. Uh, God gives the victory, because nothing can stop his plan. And so notice again, it says, And the king and his men went up to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. And they said, You shall not come here, and all that kind of thing. And David, they were thinking David couldn't take it. Here's a question, though. Why? why Jerusalem? Because Jerusalem at this time is a very small city. In fact, historically, it's just called Salem, as I told you. Now it's called Jerusalem, God's Jehovah's Peace. But why Jerusalem? Well, you realize that David is trying to bring the nation together. The city Jerusalem is actually on the border between the Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, which was Saul's tribe, and the tribe of Judah, which is David's tribe. So what he's doing is he's trying to bring the nation together by, by bringing everybody to this main city. That's really what his plan is. And, of course, Jerusalem is going to be, turn out to be one of the greatest places of all. And if you look back in the Old Testament, it is Mount Moriah, Mount Zion, is famous all the way through the Bible. Well, look what happens. Nevertheless, verse 7, David captured the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him reach the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul through the water tunnel. Therefore, they say the blind or the lame shall not come into this house. And what he says is we're going to take the city and David decided to do that. And let me, let me just give you, here is the city. This is more of a, 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 the time of Solomon. This because the temple has been built. But let me just show you something. The city... I don't think it's, yeah, it's going to work. The city of David, this is the, the 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 bottom part of the city, and it was called the city of David. Most people think that this is what, some people think this is where the temple actually was. Most in the drawings and everything that we see and wherever we find, if you go to Jerusalem, the temple area was up here. The original gate was a small gate going around the city. This is the big gate that was basically at the time of Christ. This was the gate going around the city. So this was called the city of David. It was the, that part, of. Uh, lower part of the city. This is the temple right here. We think over to this side, if you go back over here, it's the Mount of Olives. And so Jesus, they would come, and they would come down the Mount of Olives, go across a valley called the Kidron Valley, and come up to this way to go to the temple. So David is going to take this city. Not all of this is here. There's no temple here. There's no palace yet. They said that the royal palace was down in here. In this drawing, we don't know. Nothing's happened there. They're just going to take this city, and it's, it's you know it's, it's going to be a good one. Now David comes up with a plan, and he says this. David says there will be a reward for the one who can get to the Jebusites first. In other words, whoever gets there first and conquers them, there's going to be a a reward. And what we find out, if you notice in verse 8, it says, David said on that day, whoever strikes the Jebusites, let him reach the lame and the blind who were hated by David through the water tunnel. Now what we find out, that there was a tunnel that went from the top of the mountain, where Jerusalem was on, down to the valley, and there was water. There was a water tunnel. And what the Jebusites didn't realize is that David and them knew about the water tunnel and they crawled up through the water tunnel and captured the city, the best we can tell. If you go to the book of Chronicles, in fact, in 1 Chronicles 11, 4 through 6, it says the first one that could be there would be the commander. David said the first one to get there gets to be the commander. Joab, who is David's nephew, is the first to get there. And so Joab officially becomes the general of David's armies because of this. Now, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, if you, you know from history that at the time of King Hezekiah, and and that's Isaiah and those people, at King Hezekiah, the enemy was approaching them, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And Hezekiah had them build a tunnel, a water tunnel, underground from the top of the city all the way down. It's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. You can go today to Jerusalem and crawl and go up the tunnel into the city. It's still there. So the water tunnel is sort of a famous place. This, The place that we're seeing in chapter 5 is not the same as Hezekiah's tunnel because he, he had that built himself. So look what happens. They take the city. They now have Jerusalem. So it says in verse 9, So David lived in the stronghold, and he called it the city of David. And David built all around from the Milo and inward. You might say, what in the world is a Milo? A Milo means a fortress. A Milo means like a big pile of dirt. It means something that's piled up to protect you. So what David did is whatever, wherever the Milo was, he put that up so that people couldn't come up and capture it and made it harder to capture. Look what verse 10 says about David. David became greater and greater, for the Lord God of hosts was with him. The Lord God of hosts, the word host there can mean angels. And so the God of the angels, the God who controls everything, the, the God of the army and the might, he is with David. I want to tell you something, that he's with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He's told you that. In the same way that God was with David, God is with you. He is your strength and your shield. We come together on a Sunday morning. It's fun. We sing. We, we laugh. We study the Bible. We have a great time. And then we scatter And we go out into this community and sometimes we're by ourselves and we don't have to be afraid. He is with us. He is our strength. He is our shield. He is going to take care of us. And so one of the great things to realize, just like the Lord was with David, God is with us and he will take us and use us. Let me just tell you something. He can use you beyond what you've ever imagined in your life. So trust him. Okay. Now let's get some background because we're going to see the background on David, and we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the palace, and we're going to look at his family. So look at verse 11, and we meet this guy, and we're going to look at the palace. We're going to meet a guy by the name of Hiram, who's king of Tyre. Look at verse 11. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David with cedar trees and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built a house for David. They built a palace for David. And David realized that the king, that the Lord had established him as king over Israel that he had exalted him king for the sake of all the people. So here it is that that Hiram, who is the king of Tyre. Now, let's talk about this for a second. He sent messenger, messenger to David. He said, I'll help you build the palace. Well, where is all this? Now, here's David, and he's living in Jerusalem. Okay, this is where they want to build the palace. Hiram is the king of Tyre. Tyre at this time is a famous city. It's still there, by the way. And it is a famous city. They were known for their shipping. They were also known for their trees, giant trees. And so Hiram sends word to David that he will send him trees and masons and carpenters and they'll help David build the the palace. Now Hiram wanted to stay on the good side of David. And let me just say this about it. When you read later on, you're going to see that Hiram also helps Solomon build the temple. Now, if it's the same Hiram, Hiram's a lot older than the last one. So here's one of the thoughts. Sometimes names like Hiram really are titles, the titles of the king, like Pharaoh. If you said Pharaoh, that, that, Pharaoh was the name for all the different rulers in Egypt. And if you look at Candice, Candice was the name of the Ethiopian rulers. And there's a guy named Abimelech. Well, we find Abimelech deals with Abraham, he deals with Isaac, he deals with Jacob. Well, it can't be the same guy. And so that was the title. So it may be that Hiram, king of Tyre, Hiram is a title because later on he's going to be with uh, Solomon as well. But anyway, Hiram says, I'll help you. And so he's going to send people down there. And uh, he brings workers and materials to help build it, uh, David build a house. And he, he, if it's the same man, he will send workers and materials to build the temple. So this is going to be amazing. So David has his house. This is why, if you remember, later on we're going to look in the life of David. David is sitting in his palace, which is amazing. And he looks out, and he sees the Ark of the Covenant in a tent, the tabernacle. And David says, gosh, I'm in a big old house. God's in a tent. We need to build a temple for God. And that's when he gets the idea to do it. And, of course, God tells him, no, it's going to be Solomon to do it. But anyway, that's what happened. So David has his palace. And we're going to see that he's going to send that. Look at verse 12 again. So David realized that God had established him as king over Israel, and he exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people. I want you to remember something and never forget it. God will bless those that bless Israel, and he will curse those that curse Israel. They are his people, okay? And, you, and, and we're going to see that God is going to bless When Israel is doing what's right, God always blesses them. When somebody goes against Israel, God curses them. It's what you're going to find throughout all of history. God is blessing David, has made him king over all Israel. God keeps his word. The promise to David, he'd be king. Now, let me tell you, it was not easy. And God keeps his word to us. He will, every promise he's ever made. Do you know what he promised you? He said, if you believe in Jesus Christ, what does he promise you? Eternal life. When do you get it? The moment you believe. Every one of us in this room who have believed in Christ, you have the promise of God, which is eternal life. You should never say, I hope I'm going to heaven. You know you're going to heaven. You have eternal life. He gave it to you the moment you believe. That's his promise. Count on his promises. Every promise he's ever made. You know what he said? He said, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house. There are a lot of rooms. When I get it ready, I'm going to come back and get you. You think he's coming back and getting you? Of course he is. He made the promise. When he gets it ready, he's going to come back and get us. The Bible tells us he's going to come set up a kingdom and rule for a thousand years and then rule to a kingdom that will have no end. Do you think that's going to happen? Of course it's going to happen because he made the promise. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Should you ever fear? No, because that's his promise. God keeps his promises. He keeps his word. He always fulfills his promises. Well, let's look at the second part, and this is this is a little bit scary, okay? A little bit sad. We're going to look at David's family, and this is verses 13 through 16. Look what it says. Meanwhile, David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. Now, the names of some of these, and he named some of them, and born in Jerusalem with Shemua, and Shobat and Nathan, and Solomon, and the others. And I'm not going to read all the names, but I want you to see something. David took more Concubines, and wives. now. Remember, a concubine is is a woman. She doesn't count fully as a wife, but she's also not fully as a slave. She's sort of in between a slave and a wife. And sometimes concubines had more privileges than others. They're just it's just according to ever how he did it. Well, we could say, David, what do you, what do you mean more wives? What do you mean more concubines? Why would you do? I mean, you don't need them, right? I mean, we've already seen what he has. Now, I want you to understand that David is violating the scripture. In Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 17, it said, he, talking about the king, kings shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away. Nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Now, what you find when you look at Deuteronomy, that kings were not to trust in their army that's horses, not to trust in their riches, that's gold and silver, and not to trust in their alliances, that's marrying a bunch of different women. And see, sometimes they would marry women to make alliances with their fathers, and so they would have peace among each other. Solomon did it. Solomon had a thousand wives, He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. You realize that? Most of those were alliances. And And we're not saying it's right. We're saying this is what they did. And so David, I want, I want to read something to you. Look at verse 14 again. It says, now the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem were Shemua, Shobot, Nathan, and Solomon. I want you to see something. Those first four sons that are listed there are born from Bathsheba. Now we know who Bathsheba is. Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah that David messed up with And then they ended up getting married and they had children. Now look at this. I told you that one of these days I put this chart up so you could see it. This is David's family. David's father was named Jesse. That's his mother. And David had a sister. He had another sister, but he had a sister named Zerua that we know about. She had three sons Ashel, Abishai, and Joab. You know them. Joab is David's general. Abishai was the brother, and Ashel was the guy that could run so fast. You remember in the story that he ran real fast and he got killed? And then these two went and killed the guy that killed him. So that's them. This is David's nephews. David's nephew is the general, Joab, and his other brother is a Joab's other brother is also a great warrior. That's David. Now look, look at the wives. These are the ones that we have recorded. Michael, which was da- Saul's daughter, that was the first one he was married to. And then Ahinam, we don't know much about her, but she has, uh, they have a son named Amnon. Abigail, you remember Abigail? She was Nabal's widow that kept David from killing somebody. And then we have these others. Look, this, she was the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. Why do you think he married her? Then Hagitha, and then look at the last one here. Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, and look at those four kids. Shemua, Shobah, Nathan, and Solomon. Now, you might say, so what's the big deal? We know that the king of Israel came through Solomon. Solomon came the next king. But you might not know this, but these two men stand out. Why? Because from Nathan, the genealogy of Nathan comes Mary, the mother of Jesus. And through Solomon's genealogy comes Joseph, the husband of Mary. Both the, Mary and Joseph both have their lineage from King David, one from Nathan and the other from Solomon. Very powerful truths. Listen, if you're going to be the king of Israel, like Jesus is, he's got to come through David. And both his mama and his part dad, so to speak, all came from the lineage of David. Well, that's his family. And we could say to David, David, you don't need all these women. They're going to get you in trouble. And Bathsheba did. Uh, when, uh, and, and you know, when we get to the story of David and Bathsheba, let's talk, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about um, why was Bathsheba out there bathing wherever, where people could see her? Or, or, or maybe, maybe they couldn't. Maybe David just went to a good place and went, oh, I see. But we'll see. We'll look at that when we get to it. Now, the war The rest of the passage is going to be a a war, and it's the Philistines come. Look at verse 17. Now, when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went uh, went up to seek out David. And when David heard of it, he went down to the stronghold. Now, you remember the last time the Philistines fought the Jewish people? It was Saul, and they killed Saul, and they killed Jonathan. They had a great victory. People all ran off. It was a great victory. Now, David has become the king, and the Philistines say, oh, David's the king. Now, they knew who he was. Because David, they know David is a great warrior. But they say, if we defeated the Jews the last time, we'll defeat them again. So they come up to fight the Jewish people. Now, look at verse 18. It says, now the Philistines came and spread themselves out in the valley of Rephium. Okay, now let me show you something. They're coming in the valley of Rephium. The word Rephium means giants. It's called the valley of the giants. Now, look at this. This is the chart. This is David. He's in Jerusalem. Here's the valley right there. Here are the five cities of the Philistines, Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, and Gath. That's the five cities of the Philistines. They've all gathered together, and they've come to this valley to fight against the Israelites. Last time, they had a great victory over the Israelites. What's going to happen this time? I want you to see what David does, and this is vital. David, before the battle... David inquires of the Lord. Look at this. Verse 19, Then David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will surely give the Philistines into your hand. Now, God's telling him he's going to have the victory. God's telling him. Now, here's the question. How did God tell him that? And we said that there was a thing that the priest could wear called the Urim and the Thummim, and they wore it on their chest plate, and it was some way that God could, could communicate with the people. And it's not a yes or no thing, because this is not a yes or no. This is go up, I will give them into your hands. And so how did he do it? Did he bring an angel? Did God appear in some way? Did God just give a voice to David? Did God use the priest in some way? We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But God communicated with David, and David communicated with God. David wanted to maintain his fellowship with God. And let me tell you, you have to maintain your fellowship, and I have to maintain my fellowship with God all the time. We have to. That was the problem with Saul. Saul would get in trouble, and he'd just turn away from God. When David gets into trouble, he always turns back to God. David is communicating with God. So look what happens. God says, go up. I'll give them into your hand. So here comes battle number one. Look at this. So David came to Baal Bezerim and defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breakthrough of waters. Therefore, he named the place Baal Bezerim, which means the breaking through. And they abandoned their idols there, so David and his men carried them away. So David had a great victory there, and, and, and they, it didn't have a name before that, but then they called it Val Pezerim, which means the breaking through, because David's army broke through the Philistines and defeated them, and they all ran off, and they left, and notice what it says, they abandoned their idols. You know, why would you worship an idol if it, you know if you could leave it around? You, could, you know it could fall over. You remember the first time the Philistines got, got got the Ark of the Covenant? They had a god called Dagon, which is half man and half 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 man and half fish, and, and it fell over and they had to pick it up and then it fell over again. And its hands and legs broke. I mean, I mean, think about that. You are gonna worship that? Think about it. We have the living God that we worship, not an idol. The living God. So David has a great victory, victory number one. And, and and it says in another place that they burned the idols, that they got rid of the idols, they didn't keep them. Well, now we got another battle, battle number two. So look what happens. Uh, the Philistines came up again and spread themselves out in the valley of Riphon. Maybe they thought, well, that was, a, that was a fluke. We'll win this next time. Then when David inquired of the Lord, now watch this. David inquires of the Lord. Here's what the Lord said. He said, you shall not go directly up circle around behind them, come at them in the front of the balsam tree. It shall be that when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam tree, then you shall act promptly, for the Lord will have gone out before you to strike the arm of the Philistines. Now, God gives him information, and he says, last time you just went straight ahead and attacked them. He said, I got something different for you this time. You will not go in front of them. You will circle around behind the Philistines. You will hide in these trees. And then I'm going to make a noise. And when the trees, I think he probably sent some kind of wind or something. He said, when you hear the sound of marching, some noise in the top of the trees, that's when you go get the Philistines. And that's what he said. He said, when you hear the sound of the marching in the trees. And so David did that. Verse 25, then David did so just as the Lord commanded him. And they struck down the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer we're going to see that David begins to have victory over everyone. God is using David to get peace. Now, let me, let me put this right here. God is establishing David as king not only over the nation of Israel, but God is defeating all the enemies around them. You know why? David's going to become the king. He's going to become the king for 40 years. He's going to defeat all of the enemies around the nation of Israel. Why does he do that? So there can be peace, so they can build the temple. When David wants to build the temple, God says, it's not time, you're a man of war. It will be your son, Solomon. Shalom. So, Shalom comes means peace. It comes from Solomon's name. When Solomon becomes the king, there'll be peace. Then we'll build the temple. And that's what we're going to see. David is going to defeat the enemies. Well, David is anointed as king. He gains the victory over Jerusalem. Joab goes up the water thing and becomes the general that we see his background on the building of the palace and his family, and then God gives him two victories over the Philistines. So let me give you some applications real quickly. The first one, let's understand that God gives the victory. He does. We have to trust him. He's the one that gives the victories. God is our strength, not us. We're not the strength. It's him that we trust. It's him that we go through. That's why Philippians says, I can do all things through the one who strengthens me. That's why the Bible says, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's why Ephesians says, be filled with the Spirit. God is our strength and the shield, and the only way we're going to have victory is in Him. It is not in us. And so as we talked about earlier, never trust in ourselves. We'll fail. You may say, well, I could do this. No, you, no, no, you just don't know. Let me tell you something. Remember, you've heard me say this over and over. Never say you won't do something. You never know what you'll do until you're put in the wrong situation. The old saying is, if you put yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time, you're going to do the wrong thing. So be careful if you were to say, I would never do that. You don't know what you'd do if you put yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time. Never trust in yourself. Trust in God. He is the strength and our shield and our salvation. Okay, here's the second application. Maintain our fellowship with God. That's what David did. David kept inquiring of the Lord. David kept talking to the Lord. Before David went and fought the Philistines, two different times, he inquired of the Lord. We need to do that. We need to spend time and maintain our fellowship. You need to have a quiet time. You need to have a time of study. You need to pray. Let me just say this to you. If you don't have a time every day, I know this is going to sound like it's going to take up a lot of time, but if you don't have a time every day that you meet with God, even if it's 10 or 15 minutes that you pray, you write some things down, maybe you read some verses of the Bible, you must have a time every day in which you meet with the Lord. And if you don't, you're going to miss out. You're missing out on fellowship with him. You're missing out on understanding the Bible. You're missing out on, on praying to him and telling him things. Listen, quiet time, a study time is different than a quiet time. A study is time is when you actually sit down and you dig scripture. See, quiet time to me is I'm reading a few verses. I'm writing my prayers out. I'm talking to God. Study time is you sit down and you study the Bible. And you do what we call observation, interpretation application, you're actually digging the scripture for yourself. You should have a time, maybe once a week or something, in which you actually study the Bible, and you pray, and you've got to do that. You've got to maintain your fellowship with him and deal with sin. That's the key. Saul Saul, Saul never dealt with sin. Whenever he sinned, he turned away from God. Whenever David sins, he turns back to God. Whenever we sin, confess it, we'll stay in fellowship with God. That takes us to our third application and that is let's understand that God always keeps his word. We have to trust the promises of God. David knew he'd be king because God anointed him and said he would be the king. God's promises are always true. I love uh, that in, in Romans it talks about Abraham was fully persuaded that whatever God promised, he was always able to do. And God promised you eternal life God promised you he'd never leave you. God promised that he would teach you through the word of God. God promised you that he would empower you through the power of the Holy Spirit. God promised that he'd give you spiritual gifts. God promised that he's going to come back and get you. He's preparing a place. All of those promises, he keeps his word. Understand that he keeps his word always. That means when we walk out these doors, you don't ever have to be afraid. He is always with us. He is our strength and our shield. So let's maintain our fellowship, let's live in God's power, and let's know that the victory that we have comes through God's power, and he always keeps his word.